0: Revelation chapter 2 starting at verse 18 and continuing to the end of the chapter Jesus is speaking again to John to the angel of the church in Thyatira write these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze I know your deeds your love and faith So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The letter to the church at Thyatira. We have a good internet system here in St. Jude's Church, and there's a public network that's open to everyone, and it's called God is Good, and so you can guess the password. The password is all the time. And we encourage people to use it, and it's useful even in services to have it on and working so that people can message out things in the sermon that's spoken to them. We also have someone on the staff team who just keeps an eye on what sites are connected to by that internet uh, network. And the thing is this, one morning during the main service here at St. Jude's, there were three connections to an internet betting site. Three times during the service when someone checked the odds or perhaps put on a bet. It wasn't seen by anyone around them, but it was seen by someone. And for me, that is a failure of our church to be holy. We aim to gather to worship God. But instead, someone was worshipping another idol. An idol which says that you can get rich quick if you have luck or the right knowledge an idol that takes a terrible toll on lives all through our society. Jesus starts this letter with the words that start each letter, I know your deeds. He sees, he knows, he searches hearts and minds, and sometimes he smiles and at other times he shakes his head. The letter to the church at Thyatira. This is the longest letter of all those sent to the seven churches and one of the hardest hitting. It shows us clearly the gravity of sin, that we must not meddle with Christianity. We must take it seriously. We must hold on. And if we do, then we can look forward to a great reward. This letter is about holiness. We are called to be a holy people. Why? Because we have a holy Lord. Look at how he's described at the start of this letter. He is the son of God. This was a direct challenge to the authority of the Roman emperor. They've actually uncovered inscriptions at Thyatira which called Domitian, the Roman emperor, the emperor, the high priest, and the son of God the son of the god Vespasian, the previous Roman emperor, who was made a god. And this letter is saying that Jesus is the true son of God. Jesus has blazing eyes that see all of our deeds. Jesus has feet of burnished bronze, which are so much more trustworthy and permanent than feet of clay that we see back in Daniel chapter 3, verse Daniel chapter 2, verse 33. Jesus is the one who is a holy Lord and he sees that there are good things going on in Thyatira. He sees their love and their faith, their service and their perseverance. There are lots of good things going on, but nevertheless, he sees deep into their other deeds as well. So what was Thyatira like? Well, for me, it was a bit like Basingstoke. You see, Thyatira was not a big city. It had no great history. It was not one of the big players in the area. It probably didn't have a very good football team. But what it did have was access to trade routes. It was there on the junction of lots of different roads, and so lots of businesses made their home there. It became a centre for dyers and wool merchants. Remember back in Acts chapter 16, Paul met Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth, and she came from Thyatira. There were other guilds there, coppersmiths, potters, tanners, leather cutters, bakers, and slave traders. And where there were these trades, there were these trade guilds, and they've uncovered Uh, Again, inscriptions from these trade guilds at Thyatira. And the guilds would have been places of religious devotion as well as practical assistance to those in that trade. So membership of a guild required you to attend social functions where people would relax together. There would be food that was shared out and some of that food would be sacrificed to idols. And then there would have been plenty of wine, and those parties would have led on to sexual immorality. This was the background. This was the context for this young church, possibly planted by Lydia. This is the context in which they were seeking to exist and to grow. It was a tough place and a tough time to be a Christian. But there were internal dangers that were even greater than the dangers that they faced around them. Because amongst them was someone that Jesus sees and calls a prophetess called Jezebel. That probably wasn't her real name, but it's the best name from all of the Old Testament characters that applied to her, that fitted her. It points back to the wife of the king of uh, Israel called King Ahab, who came from a different area, a different region, and brought with her her own priests and idols into the city and the culture of Israel. She brought prophets and idols of Baal, and there was a great showdown with her pri- between her priests and Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, when God rains down fire on a sacrifice and burns it up completely. But even after that victory, Elijah has to flee from Jezebel. He has to flee as far as he can go because Jezebel is the one who's in control. Jezebel is the one who holds power. There are lots of Old Testament names that are still in use today, aren't there? There's Ruth and Rachel and Rebecca, and there's Deborah, of course. But I've never met a Jezebel In the whole of my life, I've never met a Jezebel. In fact, a Jezebel has passed into our dictionary as a woman who is shameless and evil and wicked. Yet somehow, this Jezebel gets onto the electoral role of the Church of Thyatira. She becomes a church member and she influences those around her It may not be obvious to all, but Jesus sees what she is doing. She is leading the people astray in the two ways that they are particularly called to stay different. Remember Adam said last week, they were not to be like them, not to be like those around them, but they were falling into that sin because the prophetess said it was okay. This was a serious sin and there were consequences There would be direct suffering for her and her followers and her children would be killed. This is Jesus who says, I will strike her children dead. Jesus takes sin seriously. This is Jesus who tells us if our eye causes us to sin, we should pluck it out. If our hand causes us to sin, we should chop it off. We've been given this gift of grace and forgiveness. But the cost of that gift was tremendous. It was Jesus's death on a cross, dying for us in our place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 7 tells us, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The world around us knows this. That's why the papers get so excited when the vicar runs off with the organist. We're meant to live a holy life. It's why the sex scandal that's affected some parts of the church, sexual abuse amongst those who are meant to lead people out of darkness has caused so much damage. We're called to holiness and we must take sin seriously. Paul says in Romans... The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is not an out-of-date message that we can choose to ignore. This is Jesus speaking to us, to our church in our time. We must encourage one another to live holy lives. So this is a letter that we need to get practical about. And I want to share with you some points from a sermon that I heard 15 years ago, but I still remember because I've had to put this sermon into practice lots of times in my life. The sermon said that if you want to beat sin in your life, then you have to practice five A's. Those five A's are to admit, adapt, avoid, account, and accept You have to admit that you have a problem, adapt to protect yourself, avoid the triggers and the opportunities, be accountable to someone about it and accept that you need help to overcome sin. First, you need to admit that sin sin is damaging you and your relationships. I expect there were some people after the start of the talk who were saying, well, betting is not that bad. It may not be the biggest sin in the world, but I'd say there's lots of reasons why we shouldn't allow gambling to have so much space in our society. And above all, I'd say that it's not something that we should be doing when we come to worship God. The first step in the process of overcoming sin is to admit the hold it has in our lives. That's why at every Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, the first thing that you do when you introduce yourself is to say, hello, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. Because they know the importance of admitting the hold that this has over your life if you're ever going to break free. We have to admit That sin is there and decide that we mustn't mess with it. We must get rid of it from our lives. Adapt is the next thing. And this is saying that there are positive things that you can recognise and replace in your life that will help you to overcome sin. There's a spiritual discipline which you can practice at the end of each day just before you go to sleep where you look back over the day and you see all the times and places where God was present in your life and you also look at all those times when sin was close to you and you try and keep tabs on when sin appeared and why it appeared and you look for ways to adapt your life so that those opportunities for sin to gain a hold don't take place. There may be things that you can do to stop Sin, getting in. Don't get too tired. Don't stay on the internet too late at night. Don't get too lonely. Make a call to somebody if you're feeling lonely. Don't believe untruths about yourself. Believe and read God's word. Make sure that you know that you are a precious child of God and he longs for you to live this holy life. Sin usually promises to fill up a hole that we see in our lives, to give us something that's missing. And sometimes we can adapt our lives just to put something good in the place that will fill up that hole for us. Be kind to yourself. Work out healthy rhythms and patterns for your life so that sin can't get a hold. And then just plain avoid things that allow sin to happen there's a story of a man who goes to his vicar for advice and he says that when he catches the train in the morning into London he's noticed a woman across the carriage from him and they looked at one another and they smiled to one another and the next day when they got on the train he sat next to her and they got talking and the next day they they met again and their hands touched And he comes to the vicar because he's a married man and he says, how can I save my marriage? I'm really worried that this is all going the wrong way. And the vicar says, catch a different train into work. Sometimes it's really simple to avoid sin. And we have to make that effort to do it. We've all learnt in in this last year how to stay away from the coronavirus. We know that some people have caught it because they've got jobs on the front line that have meant they've been exposed to it. But we also know that other people haven't taken it seriously. And some of them have paid a terrible cost for not taking the virus seriously. We need to take sin seriously in our lives. Just as it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We must avoid sin and stay away from it so that we won't be infected by sin. Admit, adapt, avoid and then account. Find somebody to be accountable to. Someone wise and helpful who can ask questions about how your life is going who can share this journey with you, who can help you to see ways out of your situation. That might be a prayer partner, it might be a life group leader, it might be a spouse, it might be a church staff member. Find someone who you trust, someone who can help you. Because the letter of James tells us to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we might be healed. Be sensible about this. But let's work together to help each other to be holy. And the final A is to accept. And this is about accepting that we can't win this battle in our own strength. We need God's help. We need his love and grace and forgiveness. And we need the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. Because when we fail or fall down... We need to know that that forgiveness is there for us so that we can get up and stand again. We need to know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we have a new identity in Jesus and we need to accept his authority in our lives. In his first letter, Peter tells the early Christians That they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is who we are. If we hold on, we will be rewarded. We will have the authority that comes from Jesus. For Jesus is with us. We will have his presence, for he is the morning star. So let's remember these five A's. You don't have to get them in any particular order, but they're all really helpful to hang on to when confronted by sin. Admit, adapt, avoid, account, accept. Stay away from sin and live a holy life. If we do this, we will become the church That Jesus called us to be we will shine his light in the darkness and we will see that he will have the glory that he deserves in our city in our streets and in our souls let's pray heavenly father we know that we are in a spiritual battle against the sin that surrounds us, the sin that can so easily entangle us. And we pray that today, each one of us would know that you are the one in charge of our lives, that sin has lost its grip on us. Lord, may we know your freedom. May we all admit Adapt, avoid, account, and accept so that we can live in a new way. Live holy lives that are worthy of you. Lord, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: of blessing as we finish. May Christ who out of defeat brings new